This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And it's time for another edition of Cocktail Hour. Yes. But this one probably won't be an hour. Oh no, this is going to be less than an hour because we're talking about the whiskey sour, which is so simple. And lovely. And love. Oh, oh, absolutely lovely. Yes. Um, disclaimer, right at the top. Drink responsibly, kids, and according and- to the laws of wherever you exist. Yes. Done. Okay. So what is a whiskey sour? That kind of depends on who you ask. But base level, you need a spirit, citrus, and some sugar. The spirit's probably whiskey in this case. Yeah, but but that is is across all sours. That's what you need. Uh, Sours are a classic family of mixed drinks, in fact. They they include things like the margarita and the daiquiri. Yes. Um, And in the whiskey sours case, generally you're going to have whiskey, lemon, and sugar, Typically with ice, or perhaps one big ice cube if you're at a fancy, Ooh, fancy place. favorite. Yeah. yeah, I love those. Oh, they, they melt so much slower. It's nice. It just... Exactly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It doesn't they, overwater your drink. They also look cool. Yeah. But as with pretty much any cocktail, there are about as many variations as there are bartenders. You can add egg whites, and that's how we enjoyed it when we visited 1821 Bitters for our tonic episode. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check that out on YouTube. You can. Um, and bartenders argue about whether this is the real way or if this is actually a Boston sour. Slightly different cocktail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use a pre-bottled mix or a sour mix. It's often garnished with a slice of orange 
and or cherry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay, so, so the basic recipe for a sour of any kind is uh, two parts base liquor, one part sour stuff, and one part sweet stuff. So the super basic whiskey sour recipe is to take an ounce of uh, fresh squeezed lemon juice, an ounce of simple syrup, which is equal parts water and sugar that have been melted together and then cooled, and then two ounces of your whiskey of choice. You combine them in a shaker with some ice, you shake them, and then you strain them over uh, fresh ice into a short glass. But there really are endless variations. You, you can add bitters or sweet vermouth or grapefruit juice or soda water or crushed basil or that egg white or whatever you want. Though certainly some cocktail taxonomists, which is a category of cocktail humans that certainly exists, um, will argue with you about whether it's still a sour once you've done too many things or certain things. We like to fight over these kinds of things as humans. We do. It's great. Yes. But what type of whiskey should I use? Oh, this is another thing that people like to fight over. It's true. It's a matter of preference. If you want something more traditional, a lot of recipes recommend an 80-proof bourbon or 100-proof if you want some more bang for your buck. (sighs) Yeah. If you want something more spicy, go with a rye whiskey. That's what I prefer for my whiskey sours. If you want something more smoky, go with scotch. It's it's all preference. There's so many experiments for you to do out there. Yeah. Yeah. And really, it's just research. Yes, exactly. Drink responsibly. Responsible research. <laughs> um, and to egg white or not to egg white. Oh, why that, why that, would you add the egg white? Uh, well, um, it's all about the texture. Yeah. It gives it a nice, velvety, smooth quality. And bonus, you get a real arm workout making it, for real. Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the texture of, if you, if you guys have never had a cocktail with an egg white in it, it sort of foam, it, it sort of forms this like foam, almost like, like a latte foam. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's really lovely. It does not taste eggy. Um, originally the, the added protein made it popular with folks that were ordering it, uh, early in the morning as like a hangover cure. We really have been trying to cure hangovers with more alcohol for a long time. For essentially, we? oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a nice idea. I suppose. <laughs> You'll try just about anything, I guess, if the hangover is bad enough. Yeah, you can, you can see our, uh, or listen to rather our Bloody Mary episode for more on that one. Um, if, if you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're adding a raw egg white to what? a cocktail? That's right. But what about salmonella? Oh my gosh, what about it? Oh, okay. I, well, alright, so, so, uh, you shouldn't be too worried about it. Uh, back in the 1990s, when we did not have as great regulations about prevention of salmonella, the CDC estimated that only one in 20,000 eggs was internally contaminated with salmonella. And as to the, the external uh, presence of possible bacteria, the shells are very well cleaned here in the United States. Um, and by any egg producer that you find, no one wants you to get sick. No. Um, Hope not. What, uh, I, there's that one evil egg producer out there. Uh, They're coming for you, Annie. No, what did I do? Oh, I don't know. It's an ancient curse. Um, at any rate, uh, as of, as of 2010, a study done in Pennsylvania, uh, where they were having a bunch of, or where they had been having a bunch of salmonella problems, this study showed that even in salmonella contaminated flocks, the rate of contamination in eggs was just 0.012. That's pretty low. Yeah. That's like really low. That's incredibly low. It's like 1.2%. Mm-hmm. It's not really a whole lot to worry about. 
Of course, if you're immunocompromised and therefore at greater risk of serious illness due to a salmonella infection, use your best judgment. Yes. And I also read from a lot of bartenders, one, you're more likely to choke on the peanut, the complimentary peanuts. But two, if it freaks you out and you're going to be worried about it, don't do it. Because you won't enjoy the drink then. Right. You're just going to be like... You're going to be upset about contracting chicken, as I used to say in college. Contracting chicken. I like that. Don't touch it. You'll get chicken. Oh, gosh. I know. Sounds terrifying. My roommate and I were very high strung. Shout out, Juliana. You're great. But so if you are going to egg white, uh, there are a couple ways to do it. There is the so-called dry shake in which you shake uh, the egg white with everything except the ice, all of the other cocktail ingredients except the ice, um, and then add ice to just chill and slightly dilute the mixture. Or you can simply shake everything, including the ice and the egg white, together all at once, although some bartenders say that this dilutes drinks too much. Yes. And of course, that's the way I do it because I'm lazy. (laughs) Why shake it twice when you can shake it once? I know. Either way, though, as you said, Annie, this is a serious workout because you're going to be shaking this for like one to five minutes in order to take the egg white from the kind of slimy thing that it starts out as into this lovely foam. And and what's going on when you when you create that foam is is you you want to get the ovalbumin proteins that are in the white of the egg to, to go from these um, kind of tightly wound slippery chains into these unraveled sort of sticky chains. And once they do that, that lets them link up, uh, trapping air bubbles in the process and thus creating this sort of light foam structure, like a meringue that you're looking for. Secret, you can also use a blender. What? Like including an immersion blender, you can just put an immersion blender into your shaker. I've been doing it by hand like a dummy this whole time. Huh. I love egg white drinks, but the the work involved does like turn me away, which is probably a good thing. So I'm uh, not drinking them all see, the time. See, so that's the thing. I always feel like if I have to work for it, then then I deserve it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it, I, so I guess it's a good thing. I don't really have a good blender, so I think I'll be okay. <laughs> oh, perfect. Good. Yay. Good. <laughs> Annie is saved at last. <laughs> anyway, uh, despite how simple the whiskey sour is, or perhaps because of it, they are consistently one of the most popular drinks in the world. Um, as of 2016, according to a Drinks International survey of 100 bars around the world, the whiskey sour was the sixth most popular drink on the, on the planet. Wow. Good on you, Whiskey Sour. Mm-hmm. So how did we get here? That's a great question. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's, let's find out. But first, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here 
and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. (laughs) Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So now, we're going to tell you everything there is to know about whiskey. Every single no, we're not. No, not we're at not, all. Not oh, at that's all. a whole separate episode, y'all. Yes. Um, but very briefly, okay, history of whiskey. Here we go. Well, it, okay, so so the exact moment that whiskey was first created is lost to history. Oh, curse you, history. Um, but some of the first distillers were almost certainly monks or other religious folks who were already working with wine or beer, um, either as a craft to keep themselves busy, uh, to provide funds for their church, or as a ritual material. The first known records of alcohol distillation are from a Franciscan monk in the 1200s, one Ramon Lull? Yull? Yull? There's a lot of L's in there. There's so many L's, I didn't look it up. L-L-U-L-L. Come to your conclusions. He counted among his academic pursuits a bit of light alchemy, by which we really mean chemistry, but that word hadn't quite been invented yet. Um, but he worked out a technique to loosen alcohol from wine. And monks in various places started making these higher-proof liquors from whatever they had around, uh, brandy from winemaking or whiskey from beer brewing. And monks called distilled spirits water of life. Uh, they saw it as a medicinal healing-type brew. And this was translated to the uh, Gaelic Vishka Verit by Celtic monks in Ireland and Scotland, which is where we get the word whiskey. This was very much an art that was practiced only in apothecaries and monasteries until Henry VIII's Reformation hit the monasteries in the 1500s or so and the monks disbanded. Then the knowledge of whiskey making kind of filtered out into the general public and eventually to America. In America, Kentucky would become a seat of whiskey due to its excellent water and crop resources, 
plus a whole bunch of very complicated but still exciting stuff having to do with like Catholicism versus Protestantism and also taxes, exciting taxes. Um, it, it further helped that Kentucky had a good river access to New Orleans, which was an international, I mean, is an international port and an eventual center of cocktail culture. Yeah. So that's the so short version. That very much abridged. Yes. We will do a whole probably like two episodes on whiskey sometime in the future. Yes. But in this episode, yes. we're talking about the whiskey sour. So let's get back to that. Yeah. Um, a written recipe for the whiskey sour first appeared in Jerry Thomas's 1862 book, How to Mix Drinks, which we've mentioned before. But the drink probably almost certainly existed long before this. Mm-hmm. That's because during the 1700s, British officers were typically typically given a ration of citrus, sugar, and liquor, hmm. usually gin or rum. As a sailor, what you worried about was scurvy, malnutrition, and seasickness, among so many millions of other things. But those but, three... But those three counted. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why you were getting the rations of sugar and citrus and right. alcohol. The British Royal Navy had come to the conclusion that lemon or lime was useful in scurvy prevention, thanks to Scotsman James Lind, who studied scurvy and made the citrus recommendation. His findings were not immediately accepted. The Navy's Hmm. Sick and Hurt Board dismissed a proposal that would have provided sailors with fruit juice in 1753, a year after Lind's paper on scurvy published, in part because of storage concerns Ah. and the near impossibility of keeping fresh fruit on long sea journeys. Knowing this, Lynn suggested a concentrate of fruit juice made by evaporating it in um, almost boiling water for several hours, which, unbeknownst to him at the time, would have destroyed the ascorbic acid in the fruit that's so useful in scurvy prevention. Oh, oops. Mm. Um, So this, too, was rejected, and it took over 40 years before authorities that had any sort of regulatory power started taking his study more seriously. But his study, which I read through, had flaws for sure. Um, one story goes that in 1793, a fleet of ships stocked with alcohol-preserved lemon juice made a 19-week journey free of scurvy. Oh. And that's when they started to be like, huh. Huh. Wait a minute. Alcohol-preserved. Yes. Huh. Interesting. It preserves us as well. It does. Experienced sailors didn't need Lynn's work to know that citrus helped with scurvy. A lot of captains, including James Cook, recommended or even required their sailors to have some citrus. Not too many sailors were raising their hands eagerly to eat straight lemon, however, so they put it in their grog. Grog was beer or liquor, usually rum at this time, diluted with water to keep the sailors from getting wasted, by the way. Um, And this is one of our earliest examples of a sour. Supposedly, the first person to serve grog in the English Navy was one Vice Admiral Edward Vernon, nicknamed Old Grog due to this uh, stiff, like, gum-waterproofed coat that he was sort of famous for wearing. Um, the material was called grogram, and that would have been in the mid-1700s. Grog. Grogram. <laughs> what, a, what a nickname, Old Grog. Old Grog. <laughs> Sailors dug this drink enough that they brought it ashore with them, and it wasn't long before someone got the idea to replace the rum with whiskey. Probably in the U.S., but you never know. Some point to ship steward Elliot Stubb in 1872 as the inventor of the whiskey sour after he whipped one up in what is now Chile. However, the Waukesha 
Plain Dealer. I've had, oh, I've been made fun of for mispronouncing that so much. Waukesha Plain Dealer published a story two years earlier in 1870 that included a mention of the whiskey sour. This was an American no- newspaper. Right. It's in Wisconsin. Um, on top of that, Jerry Thomas's published recipe that we mentioned at the top of the segment came out 10 years earlier under the name Whiskey Crusta, which doesn't hmm. sound as appetizing. He recommended, Jerry Thomas recommended, enjoying it from a wine glass with shaved ice. It also called for soda water, which people probably gave up on because it lost its fizziness after being shaken and no egg whites. But he did call for egg whites in other cocktails, like bourbon flips, however. And this is when I went on kind of a egg rabbit hole. Oh. Yeah. So I've discovered that in the 1800s, apparently bars had, instead of complimentary peanuts, they had complimentary boiled eggs. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh. I I've still seen this in some southern bars. What? Have you never seen this before? I have never seen this. You grew up in the south. I, uh, okay, yeah, like like pickled eggs in jars by the bar. I've never seen this, and I want to see it, and I want to research it, and I want to know everything. Future episode. Also, when I was looking into when egg whites started to be a cocktail ingredient, I stumbled, I stumbled on this interesting theory. Way back when, and still now, I guess, um, milk and eggs were forbidden during um, the Lenten fast. Ah. Since there's no way to communicate to chickens... To cool it on that egg laying during Lent, and since eggs were cheap, popular, and had a pretty decent shelf life pre-refrigeration, a lot of eggs would be hard-boiled at the beginning of Lent, and once it ended and Easter rolled around, people would feast on brightly dyed boiled eggs. Ah, that's where that comes from? Huh. I had no idea. Well, it makes such so much sense. It does. I never mm. thought about being like chickens. May more much more sense than than rabbits laying eggs, which I never believed even as a kid. Yeah, my parents told me that. I was like, "You're lying." <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy that for a second. Young Annie was dubious. No, I believed in the tooth fairy, but not the Easter Bunny. Ah. It was not <laughs> uncommon at the time to mix eggs into drinks, particularly in this thing called a posset, uh, which is related to butter beer. Yes, yeah, uh, a posset was eggs, milk, and alcohol and other spices that less well-off people made as medicine or to help warm you up at night. But eventually, the rich folk adopted the practice too, but with higher quality alcohol and spices, of course. Huh. Yeah. Egg episode forthcoming. Oh, oh no, I know. I, I, I was like, Andy, stop it. <laughs> God, does get, get away from eggs and back to whiskey sour. Speaking of, prohibition meant that in the U.S. there was a lot of really bad base alcohol. And sours, despite their origins, are not the best at hiding not-so-great uh, flavors. Yeah, when, when you only have three ingredients that you're working with, then yeah. it's hard to mask the taste of bad whiskey. It's true, especially since that's the primary ingredient. Yeah. Not too long after Prohibition ended, World War II broke out, and distilleries switched to producing industrial alcohol for the most part. Only after the war had ended did sours start to come back into vogue. And fun story in here, somewhere around 1925, early into the friendship of literary superstar F. Scott Fitzgerald and then aspiring author Ernest Hemingway, 
The two were hanging out when Fitzgerald grew quite agitated after having perhaps too much wine. <laughs> I've heard that's a thing that happened occasionally. Uh, yeah, I've heard that as well. He complained of congestion of the lungs and fretted aloud, and I imagine quite dramatically, what would happen to his wife and daughter after his impending untimely death. Oh. Yeah. Hemingway had the cure to Fitzgerald's ales, though. A whiskey sour. Or a uh, lemonade and whiskey, as he called them. Here's a quote. If you want to do the best thing to keep from catching a cold, just stay in bed and I'll order us each a lemonade and a whiskey. <laughs> At the time, this frustrated Hemingway, this behavior from Fitzgerald, who wrote about the instance in 1964's A Movable Feast, explaining... You could not be angry with Scott any more than you could be angry with someone who was crazy. <laughs> it was hard to accept him as a drunkard since he was affected by such small quantities of alcohol. Oh, snap. Like double snap. What wow. shade. Okay. The Whiskey Sour also plays a role in 1964's The Crying of Lot 49, written by Thomas Pinchon. In between all her Tupperware parties and dinner-making bored housewife... Oedipa Moss mixes, quote, Twilight's whiskey sours against the arrival of her husband. Ooh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The drink further makes the cut in The Guardian's Jim Crace's Digested Reads, which are these super short satirical takes on all kinds of books. The fact that it made it into this shows that the whiskey sour is sort of symbolic of her domestic ennui. Ah. Yeah. The whiskey sour didn't deviate much from Jerry Thomas's recipe until the advent of sour mixes. After World War II. And this was not great for the sour. Not great. No. But it's it, so easy. You just open a bottle it, and you pour it in. It's true. Uh, it wasn't great in general for cocktails at all because bartenders were taking a good alcohol and then mixing it with this syrupy, sugary process stuff. More on that in a moment. Yes. Um, it's like straight up overly sweet pre-made lemonade because this required no prep time, no know-how. Um, it was cheap, and the mixes lasted forever. But at what cost, I'd say? At what cost? At what cost? The balance wasn't there, the taste wasn't there, and people avoided them. Sours in general, yeah. Yeah. And this went on until about the 1990s when mixologists started experimenting with fresh juices again. What? And now the whiskey sour is being rediscovered in bars and palates all over the place. Also, when researching this, I found an instant whiskey sour mix on Amazon. Was, is the whiskey instant? I don't think so. I can't imagine that it is. I, I was so turned off, I clicked away immediately. Oh. Perhaps I'll, I'll go back and I investigate. I understand. Okay. Well, while we all contemplate the possible meanings of that, let's take another quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. 
And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. We've also cleared our throats. Everything is beautiful. A word, a word, though, about sour mixes. A word or several words? More than two. Okay. Okay. Um, if, if at all possible, um, I would, I would personally advise to avoid pre-bottled shelf-stable sour mixes. The, the thing is, is that th these things are, are, flavored using citric acid, like straight-up chemical citric acid, um, instead of actual citrus juice, so that they won't go bad. But that does mean that they have to compensate for the flavor with a whole lot of sugar. And that means that most pre-made sour mixes tend to be mostly high-fructose corn syrup. Not that there's anything necessarily nutritionally wronger with that than with any other sugar. See our sugar episode for more details. But these sour mixes tend to just include so much, like an unnecessary amount of sugar. Um, so, you know, if a bar lists sour mix as a component in a cocktail, I might order something else, unless it specifies that it's homemade sour mix. And if you are mixing at home, your own home, not a restaurant's home, because they'll probably ask you to leave the kitchen, it, it is so easy to make your own sour mix to have on hand for a quick cocktail. You just, you make yourself some simple syrup, uh, which means you bring equal parts sugar and water to a simmer until the sugar dissolves, then store it in the fridge. While that's cooling, you juice a few lemons and a few fewer limes. Um, then when the syrup is cool, you mix together two parts simple syrup, two parts lemon juice, and one part lime juice. You bottle it. You store it in the fridge for a couple weeks. It's delicious and fresh. It contains actual vitamins. Wow. What? 
crazy. And it does make a really huge difference in cocktail balance. But, of course, not to get too far into food snobbery here, you know, if citrus is prohibitively expensive in your area or if for whatever reason you don't have the time or the the grip strength to squeeze a whole bunch of lemons so you're using store-bought lemonade or, like, crystal light or whatever, um, or if, if a friend, like, helpfully brought over a bottled mix – Never feel bad about making do with what you've got, y'all. Okay. Um, my, my personal drink hack advice for the episode is to spring for at least one fresh lemon or lime if you're going to be mixing things. Because just a single wedge squeezed into each glass makes such a world of difference. Yeah. To hopefully help balance out that sugar. Just, just a little. Just, just a little. Just a little. Yeah. Help you out. Also, pouring soda water on top of anything helps. Yes. <laughs> that is a drink hack I use as well. Yay! And that's a that that's our history of the whiskey sour. Mm-hmm. History and science and et cetera. Et cetera. Which brings us to listener mail. Yeah! Karen wrote, I know it's been a while at this point, but I would like to say a word for the spork. Ah! Since I have to admit, I got kind of indignant when I heard it deemed useless. Oh, no! Some evening last fall, on which my daughter and I had grabbed a random dinner at KFC, my sister texted me asking me what I wanted for Christmas. Sporks being on my mind due to trying to explain them to my seven-year-old, I half-jokingly texted her back, stainless steel sporks. Come Christmas, lo and behold, she has managed to find me a set of steel sporks. <laughs> Since then, they have become a beloved part of my family's table settings. See, the thing about the spork is, to really appreciate it, you've got to use it not as a substitute for a spoon or for a fork, but as a charming addition to the original flatware trilogy. Think of it as the hobbit. Oh. A spork works best with foods that have both a chunky and squishy liquid component. We are constantly finding new spork foods. They include small pasta dishes where the pasta itself is small, especially if they have a creamy sauce and include meat or veggies, bread pudding or strata, baked oatmeal with fruit, cobblers of any type, any fruit pie ice cream combo or any cream pie by itself, jello salads, <laughs> talking the jiggly stuff with interstitial fruit, though I suppose the whip jello type would work too. Stew. But the pl- platonic ideal of spork food is the casserole. Ah. Think shepherd's pie, chicken tetrazzini, anything your mom would make with cream of mushroom. Not going to go into detail on technique, but trust me, sporks result in a superior casserole experience. I hope you can find a place in your heart for the spork. It's not an inferior utensil. It's just misunderstood. Oh. That was quite the defense of the spork. That is. I would want her on my legal team. Yes. Um, we got a lot of, we got a lot of emails in defense of the spork, especially from Australia. So it must be a, maybe they have superior sporks. Maybe they just know how to use a spork because here you just get them. Yeah. And random fast food carry out. Yeah. And you don't really know what to do. At which point it's it's also kind of flimsy plastic at that point. It's not, right. you know, sure. no stainless steel sport. No. <laughs> that sounds very fancy. Oh, okay. Now I now I'm curious. I'm spork curious. Uh also, Nick wrote in about our oyster episode. You missed the opportunity to touch on the recurring role of oysters in literature. 
The most famous example, of course, is the scene in Anna Karenina, where Levin, a humble country gentleman, dines with his friend Stiva Oblonsky at a fancy restaurant in Moscow. Levin says that he would be happy to eat just cabbage soup and porridge, but Oblonsky insists on oysters, which quickly become a symbol of the cultural disjoint between the two friends. Levin explains that in the country, one gets one's meals over with as fast as possible so as to return to work, to which Stiva replies, but that's just the aim of civilization, to make everything a source of enjoyment. I kind of want to do literature, food and literature segment now. Oh, absolutely. Like fictional foods, but not fictional foods, but in fictional books. Real Ooh. foods, but in fictional books. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, y- y'all write, write in if you have any other favorite examples of that kind of thing, like, like best books to maybe we could do like a little like book review corner. The so, foods involved. So good. I've already started when people recommend books to us. I've started like um, an Amazon. Oh, list book of list. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Oh man. Okay. I I have I have I have an Amazon list set up for snack stuff. So we should merge these. We should. Okay. All right. This is very exciting. Uh, <laughs> That's that's a little bit behind the mic, y'all. Uh, in the meanwhile, thank you so much to Nick and Karen for writing in. Yes. If you would like to write to us, you can do that. We have an email. It is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Uh, we're also on social media if you'd like to get in touch that way. We are on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works, and we are on Instagram as plain old at foodstuff. We hope to hear from you, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And- 